0: church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. In your hands,
1: you hold the... Order to further tempt and destroy the human race so that they could potentially get a promotion. The first demon came to his captain and said, "You know what I'm going to tell him? I'm going to tell him that there's no God. The captain demon answered to him, you may be able to find a few that would stray because of this, but very few. In fact, I I think it's a losing battle because of how easy it is to see God in the creation. The second demon came to his captain and said, you know what I'm going to tell him? I'm going to tell men that there is no hell. The captain thought for a moment and says, there will be a few. But most people understand that when you sin, there must be a consequence. That is not a successful strategy. The third demon came to his captain and he said, you know what I'm going to say? I'm going to tell men that there is no hurry. And with that strategy, the captain said, you're going to get your promotion. Because with that lie, you will ruin men by the millions. There is no hurry. The most dangerous of all delusions is that you have time on your side. You have time on your side. I want to tell you tonight that time is no friend to the righteous. Time is no friend to the flesh. Time is no friend to completing the will of God. Time is a critical part of our lives. We exist in time. Now, we serve a God who is above and beyond time. He exists outside of time. He is the creator of of time, but part of being a human being means that we have to exist only in one moment of time. You can't change what happened yesterday. You might have a little bit of influence of what happens tomorrow, but truly the only time that you have with certainty is right now. And that is why it's so critical how we make decisions for the kingdom of God. In the text we're about to read is a story about a ruler. And this ruler had, a, had an experience with the Apostle Paul. and in this experience, I hope tonight to remind you of the importance that we do not delay in our lives living for the kingdom of God. We do not delay. because what God wants to do, how I many know God is a present God. God is not a God of tomorrow, nor is he a God of yesterday. He is a God of right now. He is present in the moment. And if we are going to follow him, we must presently follow him. And so let's read this scripture tonight, uh, Book of Acts, chapter 24, beginning with verse 24. Just a couple of scriptures here. After some days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid, and he answered, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. So it's interesting to me tonight, this man, Felix, that he didn't just turn Paul away and say, I hate you, I want to kill you. He didn't resist the apostle, but all he said was, go away for now, and I will call you at a more convenient time. So this is a message that I've titled, Don't Call Me, I'll Call You, with a warning tonight. This is never the attitude that we should bring to the kingdom of God. Let's pray for just a moment. Father, we come. We thank you for this opportunity to examine your word once again tonight, Lord, that you would be able to speak to us through it. God, that we would be challenged by this call to action. God, that we bind the spirit of procrastination, putting off what we know we can do in the moment. And I'm asking you, God, to bring strength and courage to every heart in this place, to be obedient In the time that we have, and we thank you for this opportunity in Jesus' mighty name, God's people would say. Amen. I want to first begin by looking at the reasoning. It says in verse 25 that here's Felix, and he began to reason in his heart about the message that Paul had delivered to him. Before we get into the thought process of this man, you have to kind of understand some background. Who is this man Felix? No, he's not a cartoon cat, Felix was a Roman uh, procurator, which is another name for a governor or a ruler. He was uh, the ruler of the area of Judea for only seven years, a very short time compared to other procurators. And it happened to be that he was the ruler of Judea. This is the area where the Romans ruled over the Jewish people. And it was at the same time that the Apostle Paul happened to be in prison. As you know, he was being persecuted for his preaching, for his faith. He he, he is uh, uh, being transferred from one place to another. He's on a journey, ultimately, to go before Caesar in Rome. But uh, along the path, he's basically taking a tour of all the nicest prisons in the land. And he finds himself here in Judea, standing before this Roman governor named Felix. So, Felix, we know from history that he was a pretty wicked dude, that he had a lifestyle of, uh, of uh, wickedness, he was licentious, he basically did what he wanted to do. One record says about him that he exercised in Judea the imperial functions with a mercenary soul. That's uh, fancy words that say he was a brutal dictator. He did what he wanted. He was greedy. He would steal. Uh, He was was the governor. He could take what he wanted. If he wanted to take money, we're just talking about this today in our history class, uh, talking about the American Revolution and how different uh, our nation is from nations that have come before. You know, living in a monarchy, if you have a king that has a bad day, he can do whatever he wants. And he can take whatever he wants from you. That's what you get when you have a monarchy. And that's how Felix... Uh, lived his life and how he ruled his kingdom. Uh, they say about him that greed and avarice were his predominant characteristics. Uh, even in verse 26 of our scripture, uh, it says this about him. Uh, he also hoped that money would be given him by Paul, that he might release him. It's interesting, he's, he's looking for a little bribe here, isn't he? He's looking for a little something-something under the table uh, because he's greedy, And so even though we know that he was only in this office for a short time, from year 52 to 58, it was probably because of his massive character flaws. You know, you can't be a wicked person like that and stay in power for long, especially in a time like this. Uh, They had accused this Roman governor of using a dispute between the Jews and the Syrians as a pretext to slay and plunder the inhabitants. In other words, he uh, he played one side against another uh, for his own profit and for his own gain. He was truly uh, not interested in serving the people. Uh, He was in it for himself. And so then we meet another person in this, uh, this, this story, and it is his wife. Felix came with his wife, whose name was... Drusilla, and the Bible gives us this interesting detail that she was Jewish. So Felix, a wicked Roman governor, married to Drusilla, uh, who was Felix's second wife, and also she is the daughter of famous Herod Agrippa, and she is a Jew. So she had already been married to another person; he had already been married. I mean, we're we're getting into Moripovich territory here with these two. Felix had been according to historical records, he was struck by her incredible beauty and determined to make her his second wife, but she had already been married. She was married to another Jewish man. She was a practicing Jew, and now he has to convince her to divorce her religious husband and marry him who is a pagan. That was not an easy thing to do, but somehow he beguiled her She acted unwisely. She left her husband, and with the the desire of gaining more power and wealth for herself, she married Felix. She was 22 years old when she appeared at Felix's side in this story during St. Paul's captivity in Caesarea. It's interesting, one side note about her, is that she is only one of three people that we know who perished in the volcanic eruption of Mount Vesuvius. Out of all of those uh, uh, dead bodies that they find there, we know that one of them was this woman, uh, Drusilla. So quite a couple we have here. A Roman governor named Felix and the Jewish uh, uh, divorced wife named Drusilla. They are somewhat of a Bonnie and Clyde couple in it for themselves, a man of lust, greed and pride, and a woman who chose to abandon her people and her faith to gain power. We could probably tell this same story again and again in Hollywood today, right? And one's leaving the other one because this one's got more money, that one's more famous, that one's got more power, that one's got more influence. And so it's a story that is repeated through the generations again and again. But here's this couple. He's got the prominence and the power as a governor of the area of Judea. Drusilla, she is uh, starry-eyed and filled with lust and power. And there they are. And they have this encounter with this strange man named Paul. Paul, who is taking a tour, as I mentioned, of all the greatest prisons that Judea has to offer. And he finds himself in the prison where this couple is posted, and he is now going to stand before them and give an account of why he's there and why they should care about him. So just imagine. First of all, I want you to catch this. God has a plan for everybody. Even the ones that we think are so far away from the will of God From the word of God from the truth of God even those that we think that God can never reach into their life that's not true because God causes a crisscross of the paths of this crazy couple and the Apostle Paul and here he is standing before them the greatest missionary of all time standing before two people who probably were not interested in the God that he represented right Now, think about Paul for just a moment. Think of how he is being dragged into their courtyard or into their presence. Now, I don't know about you, but if it was me being dragged out of prison, I'm not sure in that moment that I would be ready to preach a sermon, that I would be ready to represent the kingdom. You know, I'd be probably thinking about how am I going to get out of this But thank God, the Apostle Paul, that he had a mind to preach the gospel. He had a heart even to look at these desperately lost people, a a pagan Roman governor soaked in lust and greed and power, and his 22-year-old formerly Jewish wife. There's some factors to play between the two of them, right? And so Paul is dragged out of the prison. He's standing before them. And he has the heart to preach. Now, we can learn something from this. The Word of God tells us that we need to be ready in season and out of season. One of the wonderful gifts that I have of being a pastor is that I have to preach three times a week at least, unless we have a revival happening. And no matter what feelings I'm having, no matter what business I'm doing, no matter what is going on in my life, there are these three times, twice on Sunday, once on Wednesday, that I have to stand before you and represent the kingdom. Now, you think that's for you. And I hope you get something from every message that I preach. But I know you don't. It's okay. I think, for me, it is, it is, it is such a gift because I have to be ready when I feel like preaching, when I don't feel like preaching. When I feel confident in my faith, And when I feel like I'm about to die, I still represent the kingdom of God. And I want to tell you, that is something that every single Christian needs to practice somewhere in your life. I get phone calls. I get text messages. Pastor, I don't, you know, I'm not feeling it today. Well, you know what? I'm not feeling it either, but I'm going to be there. If we all live by our feelings, we probably would not get out of bed every single day. There was was a few too many amens at that. (laughs) What I'm saying tonight is that here's Paul being dragged out of prison. And guess what? He's got a three-point sermon prepared. He's got a Holy Ghost-inspired message that he's about to share with a pagan and a backslider. Are you ready? You never know what position God's going to put you in. You never know, beloved, what, what, uh, what meeting that God has prepared for you. And every one of us has to be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. Hopefully you've got some hope that lies within you. You got any left? I ran dry. That's why you're at church tonight. But we're going to go out tomorrow and God's got some meetings planned. Do you believe that? God's got some people that, you know, you would, in your mind you would think, no, no, not that person. Have you seen what they, have you heard how they talk? Good Lord. But you know, this is one of the reasons why, as a, as a pastor, I enjoy having a part-time job in addition to my pastoral duties. It's not just to pay the bills. I enjoy having the opportunity to speak to people to, about Jesus on my job whether it's a customer. And you know, I'm not pushy. I don't twist people's arms. All I do is I respond to the opportunities that God puts in front of me. And if we would all have a little bit more courage. I've said before that witnessing to people, it takes about three seconds of insane courage. And then after that, it gets a lot easier. But those first three seconds of insane courage, it really is insane. And you've got to break out. And like the Apostle Paul, I'm sure he didn't feel like preaching that day. I'm sure with chains hanging off of his hands and his feet, he didn't feel like ministering. But you know, I don't think Jesus really felt like going to the cross either. I don't think that he really felt like uh, being crucified. But he did it. And he did it so that we could be free, so that we could speak about him. Now, I want to go into the specifics here quickly tonight about this message that the Apostle Paul chose to preach to this Bonnie and Clyde couple named Felix and Drusilla. The Bible mentions that he preached to them about three specific things, like a good fellowship preacher. Pastor Wayman Mitchell always told us, three points, give them hope at the end. And this is what he preaches. Listen again to what he says. Now, as he reasoned about Righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. I want to examine each one of those thoughts for just a moment. So beginning, uh, his opening point, the Apostle Paul begins to speak about the topic of righteousness. What a foreign concept to a couple like this. He begins to speak to them, and I don't think he's talking to them about human righteousness, because guess what, we don't have any. You know what he's really speaking about? The righteousness of God. And I want to tell you tonight, if you begin to have an understanding of God's holiness, of who God is, that in Him is no shadow of turning, that God is light and there is no darkness in Him, that this idea of exalting the righteousness of God and lifting Him up, this has the effect of shining the proper light upon us. It's like when Isaiah, he says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Right? And he says, the angels were crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And he has this amazing revelation of God's righteousness, his holiness, his purity. And what's the first thing that comes out of his mouth? Woe is me. Woe, that, that's a word of judgment. Judgment upon me. I'm a man of unclean lips. It's almost without being able to, uh, to control it. He begins just profusely asking God to forgive him. This is the effect when you have a revelation of God's righteousness. When you know who God is, you can very quickly understand who you are. That we are not worthy. Of his time, attention, or his mercy. But when we understand God's righteousness, then we can properly understand what God has done to reach out to us in our lostness. It is not the righteous that Christ came for, he came for the wicked. It is not those who are well that need the physician. But those who are sick. And only when we understand God's righteousness can we understand our unrighteousness and our need for a savior. So it is no, uh, it is no mystery to me why Paul is preaching a message about God's righteousness to a wicked couple. I, I don't see any mystery in that. Point number two The Bible says that he was, he began to reason with them about self control. This is really the reason why I wanted to preach this message tonight. Because I feel like we are living in a generation that has almost no self-control. Am I preaching anybody tonight? I, I, I believe that this generation in 2020, that we lack self-control because We live in such an instant gratification time. You know, uh, it it used to be before the, I'm going to start sounding like an old fogey, but back before the internet. (laughs) There used to be a time that you could not have information easily accessible all the time. Like you, you have an argument with somebody about what is the capital of Sweden. You say, "Well, it's Stockholm." No. Well, it's that. Well, you can't. You don't have Google. You have to go to a library, and you have to go to a, a Dewey Decimal System, and you have to find an encyclopedia, and you have to open it up and find the right page. Oh, it was Stockholm. I told you. That's a that's a serious process, and it takes time and effort. Today, uh, hey Google, or hey Siri, and in three seconds, you have your answer. I just activated everybody's phones, didn't I? We live in an instant gratification generation. Instant gratification generation. Instant. You push a button and you have what you want. You add 30 more seconds to your microwave. I remember learning how to make my favorite dish as a child, macaroni and cheese. You know, it takes about 10 minutes if you cook it on the on the stove. But it takes about two minutes You put it in the microwave. Guess what I did? Two minutes. Because I didn't want to wait, and neither do you. We don't like to wait. Waiting is hard. It takes self-control. And that is an issue in our generation. I wonder how many people in our generation lose their jobs or get kicked out of schools, or burn bridges with people they love because of this issue. They were not able to control themselves. How many people come to your mind who are probably not here in church today because they lacked self-control? It reminds me of what we're studying in our Sunday night series, that God promised them a, a great land, a beautiful land, a land that's flowing with milk and honey. And he says, I want you to go take that land, right? I've given it to you. He says to Joshua, every place that your foot will trod, that I have given to you, right? That was a great victory there. But you know, it was not. It wasn't that they stepped their foot. They crossed the, the, the Jordan River and poof! All the enemies run away. That's not how it was. They had to, every day, choose another battle. Go a little farther. Win another battle. Get, get, uh, gain the victory against those people. And so self-control tonight, what we have to understand about self-control is two things I want you to understand. Number one is that self-control is about a battle a battle. The very concept of self-control implies that there is a constant battle happening inside of you. That you can choose either to control yourself or to not control yourself. We have this battle happening in us all the time. It implies this divided self. And that the self that has There's a part of us that desires to do evil. And that part doesn't get delivered after you get saved. You know what I'm saying? We're still attached to our flesh. We're going to carry our flesh with us through the rest of our lives. And your flesh does not want to serve God. Your flesh doesn't want to go to church. Your flesh doesn't want to read the Bible. Your flesh doesn't want to pray. Your flesh doesn't want to tithe. There is a constant Battle where you have and I have to continually be fighting against the flesh. And if you quit fighting against the flesh, you know what will happen? You'll lose. Jesus said that to follow him, we need to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily. Self-control is about saying no. That's a powerful little word, isn't it? No. I am not going to follow the dictates of my flesh that wants to drag me kicking and screaming to hell. Jesus said that the path that leads to heaven is narrow and few there will be who find it. If you've ever uh, uh, encountered the story of uh, um, uh, "Help Me Out," it's the the story of Christian on the path to the the celestial city, the Pilgrim's Progress. If you haven't read the book, you ought to read it. It's incredible literature. It's it's all in prose and it's rhyming. They have more modern versions available as well, but it's a story of of Christian and he's on his path, and you know every step along this path on the road to heaven is strewn on both sides with temptations trying to take him away. Whether it's distractions, whether it's uh, the, the land where he falls asleep and he gets tired, and, and there's the giant, the castle that he encounters, and, uh, and the, the enemy comes against him. And there's, there's so many things that he encounters on the road. Listen, the road to heaven is narrow. You know what that means? It does not mean that it's easy. Means that it's a battle. Imagine, maybe some of you can remember uh, when we went camping, and you know, there's that path that we took to the top of the mountain. And the the thing about paths, if you're following a path in the in the forest, is that you have to pay attention where you're going. You have to watch where every step is stepping. Because you know, there's rocks and there's there's roots coming out of the ground, and there's branches hanging off the side, and And if you take a step too far, there's a cliff that you could fall off of. See, not very many people want to climb a path like that. And those, there's going to be many who along the way will maybe get injured, or they'll get tired, or they'll want to turn back. Few there will be that find the top of that mountain. It's just like the road to heaven. Heaven is not about the majority, it's about the minority. The way to destruction is wide and easy. Jesus said, strive to enter through the narrow door. That's Luke 13, 24. Strive to enter through the narrow door. You've got to thread the needle. That word strive in the Greek, it's interesting. Strive, the word is agonizeth agonize, and you probably hear right there at the beginning the word agonize. It is an agony to control yourself. I want to say the second thing about self-control is this. Self-control is the last of all the fruit that are listed in the fruits of the Spirit. The book of Galatians. You know it talks about love and peace and kindness and gentleness and And then at the end, it says self-control. Self-control. So I just want you to take stock for a second, because I believe tonight, and I believe there's scriptural support for this, that self-control is one of the greatest measures of your spirituality, how close you are to God. Christian maturity is measured by self-control. That is the ability to say no to flesh and yes to God. Self-control. What about you tonight? How is your self-control? I don't want to hear about how a mature Christian you are if you've been struggling with porno for 20 years. You know what I'm saying? Or if you're still not giving a tithe on, with regularity. You know, and, and so for those who cannot say no to themselves, there's something missing In the spiritual life. I don't understand Christians who, you know, are saved 15, 20, 30 years and still don't have a prayer life, don't have a habit of connecting with God, or who don't make it a a, a habit to be in church. See, the Bible says self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. We are Pentecostal believers. That means the Spirit of God is essential to everything that we do. We believe in the Pentecostal indwelling Spirit of God moving through our lives. Well, if the Spirit of God is moving in you, do you know how it shows in your life? You have dominion over yourself, you have dominion over your decisions. Do you? The self control is a mark of maturity. In faith. This is what we teach to our children, isn't it? From the moment they come out of the womb, they lack self-control. They don't know when to pee or poop. And part of your job as a parent is to help them to control themselves. As a parent, that should not end just when you get them out of diapers. The, the journey to self-control, training your child to control themselves. You know, you're going to sit there and you're going to be quiet. Pastor, that's hard. Ugh. That means I would have to sit there and watch them. Not look at my phone. But what's more important in life? You know, your score on bedazzled? Or the self-control that you're training your child to have? It's something that is building and growing with our lives. So this is interesting that this is point number two that Paul is preaching to a lost and broken couple here. He's talking to them about self-control. Finally, the third point of Paul's three-point sermon is one that very few people in the world want to hear about. It says in verse 24, 25, he reasoned about righteousness self-control, and the judgment which is to come. The judgment to come. The Apostle Paul turns his attention to where their decisions are going to bring them. Let me ask you tonight. If you stayed on the path that you are on right now, if you changed nothing about your life for the next 15 years, where would it take you? Would it take you someplace great? Would you be stuck in the same rut? Or would it take you down a path of destruction? This is what Paul's trying to do. He's saying, listen, Governor Felix, I respect you as an authority, but I want you to know that what you're doing is going to lead you to hell. If you had a child that was running out into the street, what would you do? would you whisper slow down come back of course you wouldn't somebody who is in danger you would shout and then you would shout again and your voice would get raised and then you would run out and grab them because they're in danger well can I tell you can I remind you that there's people all around us that are in danger of judgment which is to come do we are we still people that believe in hell or did did we remove that from our bible Did we skip over those verses? Jesus preached more about hell than he did about heaven. He warned people about hell because why? He loved them. He didn't want them to go there. This is why we must hear about the judgment. We must be reminded that God, yes, he is a wonderful, loving, gracious father, but he will also be a judge for those who are not right with God. He is hoping that with this message of judgment, he can turn their hearts. One day the books are going to be opened, and you, Felix, you're going to stand before a governor who is far greater than you could ever be, and he's going to open the books and examine your life. Now naturally, as a sermon like that might do, generated some feelings in Felix. Look at verse 25. It says, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid. That's what preachers are looking for. We're not, uh, uh, this is not the kind of fear that is like trembling and like, you know, scary movie kind of afraid. This is the kind of afraid that is, I realize that my sin is destroying me and I need to get my heart right with God. It is a godly fear. It is a godly respect. I've heard about God's righteousness. I've heard about the need for self control. And I've heard about the judgment to come. And this stirs something up in this Governor Felix, doesn't it? He was afraid. In King James Version, it says he trembled. He trembled at the preaching of Paul. When's the last time somebody trembled? At your preaching, at your testimony. Listen. I know we are in a sensitive generation. We are so careful not to trample on people's feelings. I think this generation is becoming more and more needful to tremble at the Word of God. The word in the Greek is emphobos. Em, which means entering into, and phobos meaning fear. This is what good preaching is supposed to do. This is what a message, this is what should happen when you read your Bible. When's the last time you trembled at the word of God? Or in prayer and God speaks to you and he says, this needs to change. Have you trembled at the word of God? Are you spiritually alive or have you long since been dead and buried in your heart? But, Pastor, I haven't been afraid of God for years. Maybe a better word to use here is the word conviction. Conviction. Good preaching should lead us to be convicted. This is what I'm so grateful for in our fellowship. Look, I'm not trying to stomp on people's feelings. I'm not trying to to hurt you or stomp on your toe. But listen, good preaching. I remember being in the Chandler Church. And like Bob Alvarez was saying in the revival, he said that the whole room cleared out and it felt like Pastor Campbell was preaching directly to me. That's conviction. That's the Holy Ghost using the preacher to convict our sinful hearts to draw us back to him. I'm so grateful that Pastor Campbell is not some flowery, sensitive. God uses him to preach, and God had to scare me to remind me that I was on my way to hell before I would get saved. How many times would I have just sat on the church chair? I would have just sat there. But Pastor Campbell's preaching convicted me. I look back at those times and I thank God that God was able to convict me, especially if there's things in our lives that are destroying us. Thank God for conviction. Thank God, Felix, there was something stirred up in him that caused him to be The Word of God is able to do this. Look, as a preacher, my calling is simply to present the Word of God. And if I do that properly, it will bring trembling to you. It's not me. It's the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. I don't know about you. That's scary. That ought to make you tremble. That ought to make you consider your ways and the decisions and the words you're speaking and the life you're living. God help us. If we go to church a thousand times and we never tremble, Even Felix, a wicked man, trembled at the sound of anointed preaching. But the sad part of this story is that it doesn't end well. Listen again to this scripture. Felix was afraid and he answered. This is where you really need to pay attention. We're going to close. He said, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, then I will call for you. In other words, don't call me. I'll call you. You know, Paul, you're a good preacher. That was a great sermon, Pastor. But you know what? I need to think about this for a little while. Go away for now. When the time is more convenient. Isn't it sad? How sad is it that the man was so close to receiving a miracle? How close was he? He was one sentence away from repenting, wasn't he? He was right there. Paul had preached. He had been faithful. The Holy Spirit dealt with him. And at the final moment, he could turn to God and everything could change. But instead... He said, not now, later. Later, Paul. Come back again in two weeks. Come back again in one month. I'll see you next Sunday in service. But not today. Isn't it sad that there are people who are probably hearing this message and God is dealing with you about something or another, and God is bringing you to the point where we can change, where a miracle can happen if we were respond and we put it off. This is the the curse of the church kid. Those of us who are so blessed to have had a church background, we have gotten very good at letting conviction slide off of us like drops of water off of a duck's back. We become very good at saying, oh, that was a great sermon for somebody else. It's almost like Felix. We believe everything the preacher said and we feel something happening in our heart. And yet we're always trembling, never repenting. Did you hear that? Always trembling, never repenting. Felix trembled, but he didn't repent. Don't let that be you tonight. Felix's problem was our problem. He procrastinated, he avoided, he delayed. Joshua 18.3, How long will you wait before clearing out the people living in the land which the Lord your God has given to you? God gave them the land, but they were afraid. They wouldn't go in. What about you tonight? Do we brush off conviction Do we brush off the dealings of the Holy Spirit? Do we brush off and hope to avoid that little whisper, that voice in the back of our head, the Holy Spirit who leads us? Remember that God said, I will be the voice speaking to you whether to turn left or to turn right. But we think we have a better idea, don't we? The hope of all of this is that you don't have to be like Felix. You don't have to be like Drusilla. You can make up your mind tonight. God can bring you to the point of a decision, and you can say, yes, God. God, you got me. God, I don't care who else knows about it. I need to repent. I need to get right with you. I need to obey. I need to get rid of this habit that I've been giving into. It's displayed in my lack of self-control. God, I want you to control I want you to strengthen. Felix, listen, Felix could have been a great disciple of Jesus Christ. He was this close. Because he said, later. He said, don't call me, I'll call you. Later. He was that close to the kingdom. And he missed it. We don't know the end of his story except that he was removed as the governor. We don't have any record that he ever had another encounter with God. But what about you tonight? You know, the Word of God says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. He won't always be easy to find. But tonight, I believe if God's dealing with you, it's for a reason. God's convicting you. You're trembling. It's not for nothing. Can we respond tonight? Instead of shrugging it off, oh, I'll pray later. Oh, maybe Sunday I'll go to the altar. Can God deal with us in a moment? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes as we bring this service to a close.
0: We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org.